0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Yes, isn't it? And let us yeah. rejoice and be glad yes. in it.
1: Amen. Amen. I don't know about you guys, but my morning has been uh, exciting already.
0: All right. Uh, I'm
1: just, I'm excited. My sisters are here, my little sisters. All right.
0: <laughs> we, we encourage each other in the Lord. Amen. And they're such an inspiration in my life. I don't. Um, I can read their bios and all of that stuff, but what you need to know is that they're just incredible women of God, um, and they're doing incredible work and in allowing God, um, God to work through them. Amen. Um, so, if you don't mind, receive um, Emily Burton and Elizabeth Radikin. <laughs> Amen. Whoop, whoop. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to First Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to open up with like a song and dance number, but for those of y'all who know us, that might be a little predictable. So, <laughs> did everyone get a handout when y'all came in? Okay, excellent. We're going to start it off. Just take a few seconds, um, or a few minutes rather. We'll time you. And that, that front part, that top section there, um, See if you can put into words your role as if you're explaining it to somebody who has no frame of reference or context for what it is that you do. And then also a step ahead of that is what is the value, what do you consider
1: valuable within that role? So as you're finishing up those last couple thoughts, I'm just going to open up some of a word of prayer. (coughs) Oh, good morning, Lord. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the clouds. Hello. Wow, the beauty behind us right now is just breathtaking. So, Lord, I just thank you just for that sweet little gift this morning. Lord, I pray that this morning would be a delight to you, that you will smile upon your children, that you will be honored this morning. And, Lord, that we will be encouraged, that we will be challenged. Um, And, Lord Jesus, Jesus, we just pray that you, um, yeah, that your name would be lifted high through your little girls here uh, at the podium. It's your name we pray, Jesus.
0: Amen. All right, y'all. Good morning, good morning. So we're talking about roles. My name's Emily. I'm a nurse um, here at Lawndale. Uh, and so on the Ogden Central team, whoop, whoop, internal med. what it do? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, but a little bit of background, most of y'all don't know me that well, I guess. Um, so I've been a nurse for about 10 years, almost, and um, used to live in Oklahoma, practicing cardiac nursing and an in inpatient setting but a lot of times people ask you why do you do what you do why did you become a doctor <coughs> you know, a businessman woman whatever so for me nursing was one of those one of those decisions that i made a lot because it made practical sense to me um and and so it's one of those things like super fat in high school super and intrigued by the human body how it operates how it works i loved people it seemed like a great Practical avenue to reach people in a way that was very unique and specialized. And then also there's the practical side of things that my dad was excited about was the job security and financial security, and um, everything, everything just kind of made sense to go that route. There was also something that was appealing <coughs> to me was the, that medicine has hardly any geographical boundaries. And so there was, there was a part of, part of me that was inclined to, to see the world. And if I were to do that, medicine would be a, a, a good avenue to do that, to share the love of Christ like, globally, um, should he call me to that. And so, But as you notice, a lot of, a lot of these motivations were very um, in my hands. I was the one in control of how this profession was going to play out. And if any of you are human, then you know that we have a very <laughs> limited control on exactly how things play out in life. Um, and so uh, how, I, how I got to Londale, I had this idea that like, there's no geographical boundaries to medicine, but I had no idea he was thinking Chicago. And I had no idea he was thinking Londale Christian Health Center. Um, I was thinking travel nursing, you know, and spend six months here and two years there and, and, and go about and see the world in that regard. And the Lord just had other plans. And the longer, the longer he kept me in particular places like Oklahoma and now Chicago for four years, um, the deeper those roots have gone, the deeper those relationships have gone. And that was another thing that drew me to nursing was that avenue of relationships. And I was thinking, like, with patience, like, I want those, all those relationships to come in the context of patients and how can I minister and be ministered to by patients. But a lot of times it comes <coughs> in the context of coworkers, um, in the context of uh neighborhood, in the context of different things that my job has placed me here, this call has placed me here for particular reasons, but totally beyond what I would have imagined. Specifically, the role here at Lawndale as a nurse which many of you guys work very closely with nurses. Um, but it's, it's a variety of different roles. We do a lot of phone triage, in-person triage, um, assistance, mediating, teaching, counseling, um, Jill of all trades, <laughs> master of some, okay? Uh, <laughs> like and, it. And, so, and a lot of it, um, it, it, sometimes this place turns into an ER and then we just feel like we're totally helpless in some regards. Um, and then another thing that we do is we assist, or we are handmaidens to our physicians.
1: <laughs> Answer, <laughs> Dr. Redikin. <from laughs> well, good morning. Um, yeah, as Emily said, my name is Liz Redikin and I'm a family physician here at Rwanda Clinic. So, family physician, I practice broad-spectrum medicine, so from what we say, we say birth to the grave. So, I take care of babies, kiddos, mamas and daddies, grandmas in the clinic. And then I also work a little bit in the hospital, taking medicine call there. So if you get admitted to the hospital, I take care of you there. Um, or if you're going to deliver your baby, you'll see this face as well. <laughs> um, which, yeah, it can be a joy. Not all the time, but it can be a joy for the most part. Um, I also went into medicine, not necessarily for maybe the traditional reasons. I went into medicine because I was really interested in doing mission work. <coughs> and just really, Christ has just woo, just transformed my life in me. Countless ways, and so I wanted to be able to share that gift. And there's this beautiful relationship between medicine that it opens doors. When you when you meet a physical need, there is an open door to allowing a spiritual need to be addressed. And so that's why I went into medicine. Finished my training in California, came out here to do a fellowship in Chicago, back to the motherland where my family was at. And then I was ready. I took this job at Longdale Transitional. Well, okay, I'm ready, Lord. Where are we gonna go? And He said, "Baby, wait." And I said, like, "What do you mean? What do you mean I don't wait?" And and so here I am, just waiting, waiting at Londeil. And here I want to say, I'm not a martyr. It has been a privilege to work at Londeil. It has been a delight. But I give you a little bit of that background because it's been a long time. This medical training takes a long pro- it's a long process. And somewhere along the line, as you start on this road, this identity as a medical provider starts to become a little bit of just who you are. And I'm no longer Liz Redkin, but I'm a doctor. And so it's really easy for that identity to seep into all kinds of places. And that identity can be skewed by a lot of things. It can be skewed by your community. You can't really turn it off all the time. So when you're walking down the street and something happens and somebody's in trouble, you put on your doctor hat and you go attend to, the, to who's in trouble. When you're in with maybe your family, you can't really turn it off. But you're at a Christmas party and your aunt comes up and you be like, hey, I got this rash. And you're like, I am not a doctor right now. I'm off the clock. Put that away. When you're in society and society just keeps telling you like, Well, you're a doctor, are you supposed to know everything? No, they don't teach you everything in doctor school, actually. They just teach you medicine. But you start believing these lies that, actually, I am supposed to know everything. And I actually am not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to make any mistakes. And I'm supposed to be available to every need that's in front of me, whatever it is, and just drop everything. And that's what being a good doctor is. And if I'm, if who I am is just a good doctor, then I have to live up to those things. And as you start believing those lies, <coughs> those lies get heavy. They get really heavy to hold up. And you start kind of down this road of this exhaustion of, wait, I I think I have limits. I think I think I need sleep. But the society tells us that I'm not supposed to have limits. I'm supposed to be on call, I'm not supposed to be present when I'm in clinic. And there's not really a time for sleep, not always eating. And that that exhaustion then leads to burnout. And as I was um, and I'm sure you've seen young people that are burned out. They're pretty irritable. They're pretty overwhelmed. The to-do list is piling up. You could ask my co-workers maybe four or five months ago. That's who I was. I was just in that place of burnout. And what that eventually led to was a little bit of anger, a little bit of apathy, and a lot of resentment. And a lot of resentment towards my daddy, towards the king. Because he's the one that called me to this. He's the one that asked me to this. And I was getting really resentful of him. Because my life was just... So was stuck dry, and I was just a hot second out of residency. Well, this is not looking good. And as I approached Christ about it, he said to me, Baby, yes, I see the resentment that's growing, but that's not what I called you to. I didn't call you to all that. I didn't call you to that identity. What I say in my word is that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what I called you to, baby. I didn't call you to all those different roles. I called you to rest in me. You're still gonna have a burden. You're still gonna have a yoke. You still got a job. You still have responsibilities. But it's not supposed to suppress you. It's not supposed to overwhelm you and crush you. You are supposed to do it through my strength. But alas, we look around and we read all these medical journals that so much of it talks about physician burnout. You can't look at one medical journal and not read about physician burnout because it is just rampant. It's everywhere. But how as believers, as Christ followers, who supposedly if what I've read and hear has the joy of Jesus within me still struggling with the same burnout that the world's struggling with. Something's not right about that picture. So one thing is that the Lord taught me over the last couple months was that one of the ways to, to prevent this progression, to prevent this burnout, is to recognize that I have limitations. That's not really fun. That's not really fun to recognize those weaknesses, to talk about them, to embrace that humility, but as I embrace those limitations, then I start seeing my need for other roles. I start seeing my need for others, and specifically roles in the medical field as well. This next part
0: is gonna be a little interactive, all right? All right. Yeah, who's excited? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, quick question, what is, when you're at a social gathering, a wedding, a party, um, what is one of the first questions you either ask are confronted with? What do you do? What do you do? What do, you do? Why do you, Why do you think, as a <coughs> society speaking, that's what we go to? Because that's where we put our value. It's where we It's where we attribute value. <coughs> A lot of people. It's it's interesting because I think this is something that um, a, a a friend um, who is not from America uh, it, like brought to light for me because I was just like this is just like this is how a conversation progresses. This is just it is about what you do, and uh, she's like you realize that's kind of like like an American thing, you know? And so I'm like oh, interesting um, because we put pl- we do our society places so much value. On a human being contingent on what they do perhaps rather than rather than who we are when we're explaining our roles there may be a value that we know within our our role and hopefully a value that a work that we know as just a human being um, but sometimes that's not always communicated that's not always translated between one to another and so there's this necessity of like taking on an attitude of humility in that conversation even one is because if we're honest our respective roles we are dependent on somebody else to play their part as well we are dependent on another person um, not not just as as who they are but like in their in their role in speaking of healthcare it's like, I can't, I don't have a job without patients <laughs> or physicians or orders, you know? I'm pretty stagnant in that. Um, and, and so there's, there's a dependency there. Physicians are dependent in this primary care context on um, their medical assistance to take care of the patients, get the initial, um, the initial vital signs and everything, get them set up to be seen. We all play our roles um, in, in helping each other fulfill their roles to the, to the best of our ability, whether it's ministering to students, treating patients, whatever that role may be. But it must, it, it, it must be something that we recognize that we do not play this role alone. In fact, our role may or may not even exist apart from somebody else and their role. While these roles are both important and unique, Our roles or what we do is not necessarily ultimate.
1: So because society places so much value on these roles, we're part of the society, we're part of this culture, again, that kind of seeps into who we are, right? And so we end up erroneously putting too much value on our roles, way too much value on our roles. But it begs the question, Okay, we're all believers in here. We follow Jesus. So where should our value come from? Really? One of my favorite passages in scriptures is in Matthew 3, where it's Christ, and he's asking John the Baptist to baptize him. And John the Baptist, knowing his role, was like, "Mm, that's not for me. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this is how it should be done. And so he baptizes him, and immediately after he baptizes Christ, the heavens open up, and Christ God's booming voice comes down and says, this is my son, whom I well pleased. And notice, it's in Matthew 3. Grace hasn't really done anything yet. He's come. He's shown up, which is not to be belittled. He's lived as a child. He's been a carpenter. He's learned his trade. But he hasn't raised anybody from the dead. He hasn't healed a soul. He hasn't cast out any demons. But what does God say? He says that this is my son son in whom I am well pleased." And so our value should come from just being sons and daughters of the king and nothing more. And when our identity is rooted in that value, we don't have to hold the perception of this, just, I just can't be without error. I can't. Uh, we don't have to hold up the perception oh, of like, I can't make a mistake, because I'm a physician. When I make a mistake, that has a really big deal. And, and that does but our value still needs to come from where our identity lies, and our identity lies in being a son and daughter. We no longer have to keep that perception of, I know exactly what to do in every medical circumstance. I'm superhuman and I don't really need sleep, I don't need any limitations, I'm fine. Rather, as sons and daughters of the king, we are free to confess our weaknesses. We are free to share our limitations. We are free to admit our mistakes, and actually, even more so, it says that we're to boast in our weaknesses. We're to boast in them. That sounds miserable. I'm not too bad. Ugh. That sounds miserable. But that's what he says to do because in our weaknesses, his power is made perfect. 2 Corinthians twelve nine through 10 says this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, illnesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So instead, actually, we're to see our weaknesses as a gift, to see that humility as a gift. The definition of humility... Is to, th- to think low of one's importance, not to think low of oneself, not to think poorly of oneself, but to see low of our importance. Because really, when we're when we're stacked up against Jesus, yeah, we ain't that important. I'm not the king. This is not my kingdom. This is His. And so, humility is seeing ourselves in the right in the right standing before the Lord, because ultimately we're not in control. Ultimately, I can do my best, but. Outcomes are not dependent, solely dependent on me. And now here we want to say, that's not a get out of jail free card. That doesn't mean that you can just check out. We are still to do things as excellently as doing them unto the Lord. But we do our best, and then we give it to the Lord and say, okay, daddy, it's yours. It's yours. I'm going to do what I can, but I'm not going to lose sleep over this because it's yours. And there's so much freedom in that humility. There's so much joy in that humility. Think about little kids who are just completely dependent, right? Kids can sleep through anything. They have no hard time falling asleep. They're not running through their to-do list. They're not worried about this and that, what happened today. And you think about kids' belly laughter when they just really are tickled by something. It is so contagious and it's beautiful because they know they don't lack anything. They know that their daddy and on office at them. So why do they worry? And Christ calls us to be dependent children. How many times in the Word does he say that to, in his word to be my kids, be my children. I'm your daddy, you lack nothing. So how do we change this way of thinking? How do we start seeing ourselves rightly before the Lord and before one another? And again, as I've gone through this and, and still learning, um, but the Lord is just reminding me that baby it starts with confessing. It starts with talking about those weaknesses and seeing those limitations and say them out loud. Say them out loud to one another. So Brooks asked us to do this talk. Um, not necessarily just because we work together, and not because we're just great speakers, but because we're, we're, we're community. We're roommates, we're besties, um, and we, we practice this a lot, actually. Um, we confessed to one another a lot, and even just this week, there were some tears, there were some just sharing of hurt and um, some resentments. And in that confession, there was beautiful healing. There was beautiful freedom in that space of vulnerability that led us to a more unified, a more unified way of being and of in that friendship. And isn't that what Christ tells us to do? James exhorts us in in James to say, confess to one another, pray for one another often, and you will be healed. In the sense that there there is healing that comes with confession, there is healing that comes in sharing. Of vulnerably of our limitations. And in that healing
0: comes unity. As Pastor Brooks frequently says, I don't know if he coined this necessarily, but um in order to heal it you gotta reveal it. Um and sometimes that's I mean that is that is so true. Otherwise I tend to carry carry these things, carry these weights, carry this this yoke upon me that was meant to be light in a humbling way, like um before the king as he takes those takes those loads. Um, yesterday at uh, CCDA with John Perkins, he says in the Bible study part, he said, we don't confess our sin, we get even. And I think about contextually speaking, sometimes how that manifests itself um, here at the workplace just to be transparent. And it's like, sometimes you've got roles or people maybe that are at odds with one another. And so instead of actually like remembering why we're doing what we're doing or being in one accord for the mission, um, people don't like <laughs> We just don't, we recluse, we hold on, there's bitterness that develops and ensues. And then next thing you know, you've got you know, uh, a certain role at odds with another role. And not only that, um, but then the patient is the one who's suffering in the long run um, while we work out this resentment between the two of us. And so it's interesting to like take on that, that humble heart of humility through the practice of regular confession. It yields something. It yields something very beautiful. And that is unity between us as believers, that's unity between coworkers, unity between um, husband and wife, if we want to take it there, U- unity between kids and parents. It's just this, this um, humble approach, this humble heart that is something that's not necessarily within our control except to remember our position before the Lord, except to remember just how much we've been forgiven from. We should incline our hearts to, to present ourselves uh, before the Lord, humble and quick to confess. Another thing Perkins was saying yesterday, was um, uh, was that a Christian shouldn't have to wait for somebody to come to them to request an apology. Um, by the grace and power and conviction of the Holy Spirit, that is something in us that moves and acts and causes us to move forward in this step of confession, which, which can be terrifying and hurtful and tearful sometimes, um, and sadly, <laughs> maybe more frequent than we would like to admit. I cannot, I probably apologize to more people in this room, but, and then my, you know, my MAs when I'm going off, the patients when I'm going off. And so just being honest, like, ooh, I was out of line. I was out of line. And that is, it, it, it is humiliating coming back into that place to say, look, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And so with that, though, with that, there's something that happens in us and in the person on the other on the receiving end of that humility. There's something in that that just causes this unity, this bond um, to, to transpire.
1: And so looking at different pictures of unity in the word, one of the biggest examples is in Acts, right, in the early church. It talks about how they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to having meals together, they devoted themselves to worship and to the teachings. And as a result, it led to beautiful things. It led to praise of the king. It led to worship together. It led to them having favor with one another. It led to just pure enjoyment. And it led to their community being affected within themselves as well as the communities around them. So if we as believers are Called to be sons and daughters of a God who is love he says in the word that they will know us by our love and as as we as we live out that love it becomes that aroma that will then affect those around us <laughs>
0: um, in uh, John 17 uh, with the high priestly prayer uh, Jesus, it's kind of broken down and, and first Jesus is, is praying for himself and then he's praying for the current apostles and disciples. And then he moves on in, in 20 and 23 and, uh, and starts to pray for those who will be disciples because of those apostles. Um, and if I may, John seventeen twenty, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. This is such a pri- unity is such a priority um, to Christ. How much more should it be to us? What an example. To crave unity, pray for unity when it 's not feeling so unified, to fight for unity through confession and humility, and did you yeah, I want to add anything to you and as as a result to that unity, I want you guys to see this kind of as a circular as a circular thing that 's happening here the the recognizing the roles and our need for the roles produces this humility for other people within those roles, it produces this humility, which, which inclines our hearts to confess and it produces this unity. And then in that the hope, the goal, is that we truly do become community. We truly do become community. And that translates in every aspect of life, but it can even be in the workplace. Sometimes it's like, I come to work, I do my job, I go home. come to work, do my job, I go home. But community was not our idea. You know? <laughs> community was God's idea. Mm-hmm. It's how we were created to be. It's how we were created to live. So since, as you said, the, why we talk about work is because it occupies so much of our life. And if we're created for community in general, and work occupies so much of our life. Shouldn't those also intertwine? Shouldn't those also overlap in some regard? So how do we become community in the context of work? How does work become communal? Um, I don't think that we should think of our workplace as an exception to a community. Um, and so that might be a that might be a little bit. of challenging. There are some environments. I would say Lawndale is one of those unique environments where it is very familial Mm -hmm. and it's very community-like. And I've been incredibly blessed by that reality. Um, Another another response from y'all. How how have you guys experienced like community within your respective workplace? And if so, how does that look like? Go ahead, Dr. Buchanan. Sorry, I'll try to... Like you said, we share sometimes yeah. things that happen outside of work. Yeah, yeah. Situations. and Sometimes people yeah. ask for help in certain situations. Yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. Yeah. Which in itself is a position of humility, mm-hmm. right? To, like, come to someone and be like, hey, look, this is going on outside of work. And even to recognize, like, within work, hey, something's off about my MA today, or something's off about um, Dr. So-and-so, and it's like approaching and be like, hey, you good? You know? Everything all right? But that's, it, 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 it takes it takes humility to even be vulnerable and honest in those situations to be like, actually, no. Like, I'm at odds with this, and this is affecting my work. Because if we're honest, we, it, we can compartmentalize to some degree. Some people are better at it than others, but ultimately, it's like whatever we're bringing here is more than just work. It's life, and what's affecting us around. And so, being community is, is inviting those conversations um, in the in between times, in the downtime. I know y'all don't have much downtime, but <laughs> or 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 going to someone's baby shower, um, or in taking the invitation as they come for dinner inviting people into our homes, different kinds of uh, things for rapport, um, advocating for one another, things a huge way, whenever maybe a voice of someone you know is not quite being heard, <coughs> stepping in the gap um, uh, to just kind of be a microphone or amplification of that voice. Uh, maybe it's uh, carrying each other's burdens, um, whether it's financially or giving given a family a place to stay or Um, or even maybe you stepping in and needing that, um, carrying each other's burdens. We're not meant to bear this burden alone. Uh, When we labor together in love and like-mindedness, there's a mutual feeling of worth and value when the work is accomplished. So then it's no longer this, back to that question of what do you do? It's no longer this, I'm trying to gauge a hierarchy of what you do. Um, but rather, it's like, how can we together mutually accomplish this work? How can we together in community accomplish this work?
1: So, so, yeah, so when we, as Emily said, as we, how do we do that in work? It starts outside of work, right? It starts in our normal disciplines, it starts in our normal practices. it starts in our homes, that we regularly practice this confession, that we regularly open the doors of vulnerability that we regularly invite that unity in our homes with our roommates with our spouses with our families and and as those habits start to form we start seeing our right standing before the Lord we start seeing our right standing before one another and so those those walls break down of the barriers those walls break down of the roles that the society continues to put on us but they start breaking down in our minds so then when when we're at our workplace It doesn't have to necessarily be this conscious. Okay, well I got to confess to my MA today, blah, blah, blah. No, this is who I am. And because I'm no better than my sister who works as a medical assistant. I'm no better than my sister who works as an interpreter. It's just a natural progression that I screwed up or, or I'm struggling today. And so I don't see them as their role, as society sees them. I see them as my sister and my brother. And so I need to confess to them. I need to invite them in this process. And eventually what will start happening in your workplace is what happened with the early church in Acts. Eventually, even in your workplace, there will be praise to the king. There will be favor amongst one another. There will be enjoyment with one another. Even in your workplace, that's, in- that's countercultural, right? But isn't that what we're supposed to be as believers? That's what the Lord calls us to. So even if your workplace doesn't look like Longdale says, as Emily says, it is a privilege to work here, but you can still invite this into your workplace, even if it's not, cool, it's not seen as overtly Christian, you can still be that light that invites people into your life, that's, that practices that humility, and there will still be that aroma around you that affects the community around you, affects the community within you, and then goes and, and yeah, transforms things, transforms things for the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. So again, I invite you to look at, look at this as a circular
0: thing, a continual thing. It's not like, oh, okay, community has been accomplished. And there is now no need for humility. We got it down, but instead, it's just like this ongoing cycle. If we want to do medicine or do our particular professions well, live up to these roles um, that we have been called or designed or invited to into play, then this is a this is like red set or Liz said this is like this is a circular. Progression, a constant revisiting of any one of these stages that we're in. Um, I'd, hate for, I'd hate for us to just, like, say goodbye and not think. So take a minute. There's a place at the bottom of the page. Just kind of reflect what's a practical next step of application. What's a practical way, maybe something that's on your heart or your mind now. Uh, maybe some advice you can give somebody I wasn't here. <laughs> um, just kidding. Um, maybe whatever. Remem- what, ability, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um What's a what's a practical next step? Go ahead and take uh, a minute to 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 write that down, or consider that, pray over that. My God, what are you what are you asking of me? Next step. What is the what are you inviting me into? Okay. After y'all get that down, I'm going to invite y'all to stand. You don't have to join hands across the aisles or anything. But, but one of can't my... F- do that's okay too. Or you can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually, yes. Let's, Let's join hands across the aisle. <laughs> Improv, y'all. Okay. <laughs> um, one, if not my favorite parts of church is the benediction. The charge to go forth from this place, take how the spirit has moved, what he's spoken to you, and... Take it and apply it. So through his word, Philippians 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, Intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves,
1: which was also in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Again, thank you so much. Oh, yeah, Lord. What a, what a morning. What a, again, I'm just thinking about the sunrise. Um, but Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that you are never changing, and that your word is true, and that your word leads us to freedom. To freedom and a satisfaction and a joy in life that the world cannot understand. But we thank you that we have the privilege of knowing it. And so, God, may we not be greedy with it. May we go and we share of your goodness because, Lord, it is, yeah, if we don't, the racks will cry out. And so, God, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to share of your goodness this morning. And, Lord God, may it continue to resonate in our hearts. May we be children, may we be sons and daughters that live freely knowing that we have no lack, but also live knowing our right standing before you and before one another. And so, God, we, we are excited for the ways that you are going to build this community in Longdale and other medical facilities. Area and beyond. For um, that, but yeah, we look to you, and we thank you. We trust you, Lord, in your name?